I need somebody Help Not just anybody Help You know I need someone Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Now, for family caregivers, many health-related challenges are especially related to incurable health conditions. And for many, many of these challenges, we're understanding more and more that while what medicine and healthcare can do is necessary, it isn't sufficient. One of these non-medical things that's necessary, actually essential, is communication between family caregivers and the family members they're caring for, which means that the language of the communication is such an important topic that there's more to language than words, which is why our topic today is art as a language for caring, and our guest is artist Martha Eileen. Now, Martha is an honors graduate of the Emily Carr College of Art, Vancouver, Canada, Her painting practice explores the relation between culture and landscape and has received critical attention in the form of essays, reviews, and publications. Her work's been exhibited in public galleries in the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and Japan. She lives in Toronto, where she teaches painting and drawing at the Toronto School of Art. Her work is represented by Loop Gallery, Toronto, and her recent body of paintings, I, Huck, that's H-U-C-K, explores the language of the experience of knowing her son, Gabe. So welcome to the show, Martha. Thank you very much. Thanks for the nice intro. (laughs) Good. Now, over to you. First question. Please tell us more about your background, your career, and your life's work as an artist. Okay. Well, you've already described my um, interest in the cultural aspect of landscape. Um, over the last number of years, I've very purposefully looked outward um, for subject matter, uh, partly because uh, I'm a single mother with a disabled son, and I, um, my home life is full of responsibilities and complications, and also because I really want to be taken seriously as an artist. And so I've looked for things to paint that I don't have a personal connection to, um, that I don't particularly love, and I've managed to uh, find beauty in some really strange places. Um, uh, My first major body of work, uh, Into the 905, The View from the Car, um, which I painted in the car, explored the kind of marginal wasteland in the outskirts of the city um, as seen from the road, a commuter's viewpoint. Um, Spending time out in that landscape, I got more and more interested in the people who lived there um, because it's where all the new immigrants go now. And uh, I set up for myself a residency in a subdivision called Peace Village that's built around a mosque. It was during a time of terrible uh, racism towards 
Muslims in Canada, and uh, I didn't know anything about that culture. So I lived there for a couple of months and painted. Uh, from there, I, I uh, produced work called High Tech Road, which was about hydro towers along the highway, uh, beautiful structures, and then got interested in the big box malls and, in particular, the poetics of the signage, um, which can be kind of amusing. Um, also, just these incredibly huge, huge, uh, complex structures that shape human behavior and what we do. Um, I also took three trips to the Arctic where I painted and uh, got to know um, Native people who I identified with very closely, I think, because of our own experiences um, with something like the residential school system, um, trying to uh, keep my son out of institutional setting. So um, at some point, I began to see a thread running through all my work. Uh, what is it that the, has drawn me to these really marginalized environments and looking at the effects of dominant culture on this kind of place? And I realized that I have a really unique vantage point, and that's my relationship with my son, Gabe. Now, I'm going to stop you there because I want you to carry on talking about your family caregiving experience with yeah. Gabe. And um, we're always in, in this in radio up against time limitations, so I'm just going to ask you to give us a reasonably brief answer on that one. But go ahead. Your care, Gabe and your family caregiving experience with him, please. Martha? Okay. Um, Gabe's 35. He's really beautiful. He's a, a listener and he's deeply empathetic. Um, we have some funding to hire support workers um, because he he requires 24-hour constant support. Um, I still do a third of his care, and uh, the support workers, as well as doing personal care, are very engaged in exploring the city with Gabe, pursuing his interests, and um, uh, helping him to build real relationships. Now, just a little more, please, about your family caregiving. Stay short, right? No, no. This is—we're doing just fine, honestly. Um, how does your family caregiving experience and Gabe's experience intersect with your art? Big question. Short time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, first of all. He certainly um, helped me to develop a discipline to work. My time to paint is extremely hard one. Um, it's very difficult for me to get away, and I've needed to have that single-minded focus when I work. So, uh, But I have to be very organized to do so many things and to look after someone else's needs. And um, So certainly the discipline is, has been a... A huge part of that. Um, sorry, Gordon, I've lost my train of thought because it's hard for. I think it's better if you tell me not to rush. Can you not edit? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely okay. Sure. This is a conversation. Because I uh, think this beginning, like setting up the situation, is probably my longest answers. The yeah. later ones are shorter. Martha, they're fine. I would have now, liked to describe Gabe more, and I left it out because. I was trying to be quick. 
Yeah, perfectly fair. Now, maybe you want to bring that in in the next question that I have for you. That is, say a, bit, a little bit more about what you would like to say about Gabe and also about the art show that you've created um, for and about him. So please describe both of those things to us. And you, there's no rush. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, okay, well, now I got out of order. I'm sorry. I no, no worries. fell off my... And I, I guess there's something I don't know. It seemed like when we took that time out to fix the phone and then it shortened the whole thing, like, does yeah. that... Any time I talk like this, it means the show's going to be shorter? No, no, we, we, we can deal with all of that. Just tell us a little bit more about what you would like us to know about Gabe, first of all. Okay, thanks. <laughs> um, uh, well, Gabe loves sound and vibration. He's uh, very obsessed with radios. He knows his way all around the airwaves, um, scanners, telephones. He enjoys the subway, I think, partly for the sound and vibration. In fact, this year he had his birthday party on the subway with cake and music, and his friends got on and off. Uh, they knew we'd be on the last train at a certain time. So um, he has a, a pretty interesting life. Um, as I said, we have some funding to hire support workers. That was really hard won through several lengthy lobby processes. And um, I think I realized when I was away so much uh, painting that there was uh, something um, that I was avoiding, a very old, unresolved question regarding Gabe's future, um, despite all our work to put together this really progressive model of support that includes Gabe in society, um, if I were to die tomorrow, he would be institutionalized. They, uh, I don't think this particular kind of support is particularly valued in a, a society that still has to fund institutional care. Um, so I knew that we had to begin to um, start another lobby process to get the rest of the funding to replace me. As well, I'm getting very tired and I don't want to be a... A caregiver anymore. I want to stay in relationship with Gabriel, but um, I don't feel I need to be getting up all night and that sort of thing. So, um, so I decided to um, come home and stay home and really apply the aspect of painting that has to do with focusing deeply on something and paying deep attention, and this time to Gabe and his space. And um, I hope that that magic would occur that would propel this uh, lobby process forward to um, get the rest of the funding. So I created a body of work um, about, um, about Gabe and really about the landscape of the experience of knowing Gabe. That's, uh, first of all, a very quick comment. What you're describing is what many, many, many family caregivers also describe. Um, now, I'm going to ask you just briefly to say one or two words about the art show that you've created mm -hmm. around, around and about Gabe. That, you won't have enough time to answer the, the question fully. And in fact, on reflection, I'm going to suggest that we begin the next segment with that particular question, uh, you know, the art show and describe it. 
Okay. Uh, and I'm going to just respond to you for what you've said. Um, the comments you've made about the lives of family caregivers um, echo something that I've heard so many, many times. And every family caregiver has a particular way of, of addressing these challenges, but the challenges face everyone. What makes your work so important, um, Martha, is that you've used art as a way of responding to the challenges in your life, and that's why I'd like you to um, talk to us about uh, the way in which um, you know, you've used your art and the art show and the rest of it. So uh, let's now take up the break, because we do have to take the break to pay our rent. Mm -hmm. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Martha Aline. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're going to be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com well, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Martha Elaine. Our topic is art as a language for caring. Now, I want, to, first of all, please, Amartha, you to tell us more about this art show that you've created about Gabe. Please, please describe it to us. Um, well, first of all, it's at Loop Gallery in Toronto, um, ending January 29th. Um, sorry, I just realized that this show is after that. Um, uh, well, first I'd like to explain the title, I, Huck. Um, my son Gabe likes to call himself Huck, and um, I think it's an expression of his pride that allows his spirit to expand, and 
he feels special when he's Huck. Um, he listens to Huck Finn on CD quite a bit, um, several versions, and I think that really he identifies with those qualities of, of Huck that are um, at the same time innocent and intelligent, and certainly Gabe uh, reflects that. Um, I avoided um, pictorial drama in the pictures in favor of trying to get at the space he inhabits. So it's not so much illustrating things he does as um, um, trying to get at the energy. Uh, painting's very unique visual art in that it's not just about how things look, but there are other components such as smell, sound, temperature, emotion, intention. Uh, there's an energetic content and um, I think we have a, I say we meaning myself and Gabe's caregivers, have a, a very specific experience in Gabe's space that's an incredible intimacy and uh, an awareness and actually a political intimacy that other people don't necessarily see, and that's what I wanted to paint. So while Gabe is in many of the pictures, there are also... Um, many pictures of his things that reflect his interest. Um, the painting as is of his bedroom shelves has a row of about a dozen telephones on it. Um, there's a painting of his ceiling fan and his red dresser with covered in wiring. Um, there's a couple of nudes of Gabe with his uh, brightly striped curtains. Uh, the table he sits at repeats in many of the pictures with different arrangements of radios. Uh, the brick wall outside the kitchen window repeats. So the, all the paintings in the show kind of talk to each other and uh, create that atmosphere that, um, that we recognize as being Gabe's space. Martha, I'd like to just ask you to say a little bit more about the challenges that Gabe experiences. What are the most difficult challenges that he experiences? Um, well, I suppose not being understood uh, in terms of what he needs his supporters, um, how, you know, how best to support his actual needs. I think that's less of an issue now that he has, he has an incredibly strong team right now. Uh, they all love him deeply and know him well. They've been around for a long time. Um, they're all creative people who uh, use this work to support their freelance arts careers. We have musicians, actors, writers. Um, so in the past, that was more of an issue for him. I think he feels quite understood now. Um, he certainly gets frustrated when he's with me for long periods of time without caregivers, and we have to do that regularly in order to save up hours so that I can be freed up to work. Um, and he, he doesn't like that. He, likes, he feels much more access to the world when he has somebody with him other than his mother. Martha, still on the question of communication, um, what's Gabe's experience with the language that people who don't know him well use to communicate with him? He ignores it. I wish that I could follow his example. If people ask about his diagnosis, 
You know, Gabe's heard that language of deficit-based labels all his life, endlessly discussed around him. He's never once used any of those words. They have no meaning to him. You need to have um, an understanding or a measurement of normalcy in order to understand a disability label. And as far as he's concerned, he's normal and he fits within his range of what's normal. So he's just silent when people use that language. In other words, it goes into non-communication. That's yeah. right, is it? And I think that if he were in a situation where he was not with someone with real solidarity that really gets him, he would often act out uh, hearing that kind of language. And in fact, simply being looked at uh, through that lens of uh, something being wrong with him or a medical viewpoint, um, that could cause him to act out and make noises and act weird. Sure. Now, um, let's talk about the art. First of all, does Gabe use your art as a language to communicate with you? And if he does, how does he, how does he use it? And if he doesn't, why doesn't he use it? Uh, well, for one thing, Gabe's blind, so he doesn't, oh. he, he's not visual at all. Oh. Um, he, he's legally blind. He does see some, but I think it's a neurological condition where images are not sorted properly. So he's a really big listener. Everything depends on sound for him. Um, however, he's well aware of my career. He's really supportive of me. Uh, he loves this show because it's about him, and when it was explained to him what each painting was about, he found that very interesting. Um, and probably he does, you know, see somewhat once he knows what to look for. He really liked the painting of Steve, one of his supporters. Now, that's raised a very interesting point, that, uh, and I'm just going to observe it very quickly back to you, and that is that um, when the vision isn't as it should be, even more important is the language of communication by voice and sound. And what you've emphasized is, is that important? So given that Gabe understands uh, about your art, like some of it, um, tell us more about what he says about your art and how he contributes to it. Um, well, certainly in this particular body of work, he provided the subject matter, although I must say it, it really is my story, too. Um, it definitely takes place in the realm that we share together. I didn't follow him out into the world to get the images, and um, um, he's provided the titles for many of the things are based on quotes that he said, like the title of the show, I Huck. Um, there's a painting called uh, What Do You Think This Is? Uh, uh, one of the things he's always asking. Uh, Tough Luck is a picture of what we actually call the graveyard in the basement, which is an enormous stack of analog radio equipment that uh, circulates throughout our house. There are four smaller paintings titled What Do You Think This Is? A Hotel which is one of the things that he says to his attendants when they show up in the morning to get him up because he's passively lying in bed and they're doing all the work. 
That's very nice. <laughs> that really is very insightful, isn't it? Now, still more about his reaction to your art, his contribution, and the sense in which other people in similar circumstances uh, might want to hear things that uh, art can do, which they may not have appreciated. Uh, Martha, what do you say about that? Um, well, I, I think I'd like to talk more generally about art in terms of creativity. Uh, we live in a culture where, um, well, first of all, I think that there's a huge gap between how disabled people see themselves and how the general public sees them. Uh, the general public tends to have a viewpoint that uh, people with disabilities live lives of daily tragedy. And to Gabe, for example, he's just a guy who has a great life and he's not viewing himself that way. So there's an enormous gap to speak across. And I think uh, families and caregivers are really challenged as the bridge between someone they know well whose actual uh, needs are perceived by them and communicating that to the outside world that sees them in terms of medical labels. And that's a, a create. You have to be very creative to find ways to help people understand that. That you know, people that haven't had that experience. So, um, I'm thinking more of art. You know, less of painting, but art in all its forms certainly makes all our lives richer. Everyone can benefit from that. But um, I guess my advice to um, the creativity of families and caregivers would be to really do some deep listening to, um, to, well, everyone, but the person with disabilities. Uh, find out what their interests are, what their passions are. That's how they can be introduced out in the world. That's how you can make connections. Because, frankly, without having relationships, if your life is, revolves only around therapies, hospitals, uh, deficit-based planning, um, without real relationships, every single one of us could end up in an institution. That's what happens when you don't have those connections. So it seems like the most important part of, of uh, giving care to someone is facilitating meaningful relationships where they can be seen as who they are and, you know, valued for their gifts. I'm going to say back to you something that you may want to raise in the next segment, which we're going to go to in a moment or two, and that is it seems to me that uh, communication is a fundamental part of the relationships in the way that you've been describing them. Just a quick yes or no. Have I got that right, or would you want to change what I've just said? Um, well, I, I guess I can only speak from my own perspective. Uh, am I on the radio now, or are you asking me? No, you're on the radio. Oh, sorry. The world um, is listening. Yes, okay. <laughs> um, I can only really talk about my own family. I don't know enough about uh, other families. But uh, because I'm an artist myself, and I have a creative life, and Gabe's grown up in that, and he has a creative life, we're not really comfortable with people in the house doing the caregiving that don't fit with that. Got and so when we interview people, when somebody comes along that's creative themselves, they're a way better fit for us. And in the bottom line is that we have to feel 
comfortable, both of us do, having them around the house. They become like our family. Got it. Now, we do have to go to the break now. Sorry about that. So let's go to the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adler. My guest is Martha Aline. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us because we're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Want to laugh yourself silly over the crazy happenings of the celeb world and beyond? Tune in to Behind the Mask on Voice America Kids. Your hosts will uncover the celebrities you know and love, along with some that you might not know in this country, but they are admired across the world. But it's not just the famous that need to look out. We'll look inside the music biz, stage, and of course, the big screen. Listen to Behind the Mask every Thursday at 8 p.m. on Broadway and 5 p.m. Hollywood side on the Voice America Kids channel. We are in the midst of a global sovereign debt crisis that could lead to the ultimate risk for the world economy, the removal of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency. What will this event really mean to the markets? And more importantly, what does it mean for you and your family? Listen to Global Currency Watch with your host, Stephen Ayer, to get a full and objective look at the world's sovereign debt crisis and help you prepare for when the crisis envelops the United States. Global Currency Watch airs live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at my. M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Martha Aline. Our topic is art as a language for caring. So let's talk about um, the types of challenges and the way these are talked about. So first of all, Martha, what are the most difficult challenges that you experience in caring for Gabe? Please Please take us over the expand on what you've previously said about those. Well, certainly the the systemic uh, disability bias that's so deeply embedded in our society. I think people are pretty used to understanding um, that homophobia affects people who are not gay, that racism affects people who are not black, but when it comes to disability. Um, I think it's just the last frontier of understanding and of social inclusion. So that's something that um, we experience daily. And we can see all those barriers everywhere we go, and they're invisible to other people. Even people you expect to be quite enlightened, it seems that you need to have a relationship with somebody with disabilities to, um, you know, to think about that. Uh, certainly getting funding for support is nearly impossible. And um, uh, what we have right now is, I call it shut-up funding. Um, we made so much noise 
that we finally got enough to be in a holding pattern, but not enough to plan a future uh, without me being a constant caregiver. Um, And, you know, along the same lines, just having um, this positive model of support valued, uh, I think that uh, the government that supplied this funding is probably pretty happy because on my back, it's been much cheaper to raise Gabe, uh, to look after him. Um, when I die, they're quite happy to institutionalize him. They're not paying a lot of attention to uh, what kind of support he's getting. Um, and I guess daily, the hardest thing that I face is having a curfew every day. I'm always rushing home. I like to be on time to set a good example for uh, the caregivers. We cascade um, like a baton in a marathon, one to the next. So um, I'm very frustrated by that. I'd like to be free to come and go. I'm going to ask you a, a, perhaps a little bit of an intimate question, but do you ever feel guilty in the way about the things you do or don't do? Do you ever feel that you're not doing enough Um or are there other things that you might describe as weighing on your conscience? Um, actually, I feel sort of the opposite of that. I feel like I've paid my dues so heavily. I mean, I've sacrificed so much in my life to uh, provide for Gabe, and uh, perhaps it helps me too that I just I love him so much, and he's I find him just beautiful and. Uh, just perfect the way he is. I don't, I don't really see him as a disabled person either. Um, but you know, I've, I've, um, my career was delayed. It's um, uh, been difficult for me to find a partner. There are a lot of things that I've given up in order to. Feels like I work about ten jobs. I mean, just managing the caregivers is like running a business. Uh, the advocacy with the government. There are a lot of things that I have to do that I don't feel like doing, and I do them as well as I can. And so as a result, I feel that um, I can do whatever I want with my time, and I think that's an unusual position for someone in middle age to be in, uh, for example, to uh, put this kind of time into an arts career that doesn't necessarily give you a proper income well, we've lived in terrible poverty together before Gabe had support and I couldn't work and we were on welfare. And now, you know, making a small amount of money is great. If I had had to give up a job with benefits to be an artist, it could never happen. So I see my friends without these issues um, uh, in a really different position. I I think that people who have their freedom uh, curtailed uh, know a lot more about freedom than people with, say, just shapeless time. Martha, I'm just going to comment back to you. The reason I asked you that question is that so many people in the family caregiving situation um, feel do feel guilty, uh, even though they may be exhausting themselves in the way that you've just described, physically, psychologically, and financially. They, too many of them feel that they're not doing enough. So your answer is a beacon of hope for them. That is to say... Well, I'd like to modify that. I mean, I'm superwoman. 
I just keep going, and I, I'm, there's a real yeah. urgency to my artwork because the time is so hard won, and I go at it with such full force. Um, I'm not sure where all that comes from. I think that's kind of a gift of Gabe that I have so many obstacles that that's what, you know, it takes an extra push to make other things happen. But I just, I can't accept that I, you know, that old model of the artist being a man with no responsibilities who often has a woman feeding them and doing all the promotion, like, you know, Jackson Pollock, his wife gave up her own career to look after him so that he could create. And I think, you know, women do want to be mothers. We want to have it all. Um, I want to have a career and I also want to uh, be a good mother and, I'm determined that that's possible, but I, I think that it's a, you know, you do have to be superwoman, and I don't have an answer to that. I think that family caregivers, Martha, have a lot of super people among them, women and men, who go above and beyond and also do what you're doing, that is support some kind of work, career, uh, activity that keeps them strong, because their being strong is probably the most important thing, aside from finances and things like that, for the person they're caring for. Um, Because you you hit on it very well when you said, again, this is something I've heard, um, or you posed the question metaphorically, what will happen to Gabe when I'm gone? That is a sort of thing that haunts many people, but at the same time, they take action to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Now, that's enough moralizing from me because I have another question for you. You talked about systemic bias against, and if I'm going to use the phrase people with special needs, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean by that. Talk to me more, talk to us more, please, about what you mean by systemic bias, uh, how it comes about, what you think should be done about it. Um, well, certainly it comes about, uh, it's hard to say the chicken or the egg, but um, people with disabilities have traditionally been excluded from our daily life so that, you know, as adults, when we meet someone with disabilities, they seem very other to us. I think with full integration in the schools, kids grow up, um, you know, with an expanded sense of what's normal. Um, and... Um, you know, they're much more able to uh, to be supportive of somebody with disabilities and see beyond the disability to the person. Um, I think that one of the reasons for this intense exclusion is that I think we're very frightened of disability because it's something that can happen to any one of us and probably will happen as we age. Um, and it seems to motivate people through that fear to create a really strong barrier that they feel that they're on the right side of uh, by excluding others. Um, I think people get very uncomfortable with the idea that if they show any vulnerability themselves, they will get excluded. So um, um, certainly starting really young to not exclude people, to have them all together. My son was always bused to other neighborhoods. He never got to run in and out of the houses with the other kids on the street. And um, he ended up 
being completely unsocialized and isolated as I did. We weren't part of the families in our neighborhood. I think that's really unhealthy. Would you go so far as to say, to call what you, what you both went through discrimination? Definitely. Now, has anybody that you know of tried to challenge this through, you know, the human rights process, whether it's in Canada, United States, or anywhere else? Has that been used in any way on behalf of the kind of people where you are and we're talking about? Well, it's an interesting question because I've often wondered about that and I don't know about the larger picture. I can only speak from my own experience that when Gabe and I have been rejected, we tend to go away and find somewhere or create somewhere where we can have a sense of belonging. I think that social inclusion causes such a deep wound that, uh, I mean, social exclusion causes such a deep wound it's extremely hard to get over it. And when you look at the First Nations people finally talking about what happened in the residential schools in the 1950s, that's 50 years ago. Um, and the, the legacy of, of that abuse in their families, uh, for so many years, the racism, and it still is so deep towards Native people that it was very difficult for them to come out and say, this was wrong, what happened to me was wrong. Um, and that's what I mean about the bias being deeply embedded in society. We're just starting to understand uh, the value of our Aboriginal people. Um, it's a very new idea in our culture, but people have been getting hurt for years by that racism and didn't have a language to talk about it in. And I think that's where we're at with disability, that um, we don't even have a language yet. The assumptions run so deep. Uh, even people that are quite close to me and Gabe don't really understand why he doesn't live in a group home. They see me struggling. They think that perhaps, you know, I'm just um, stubborn or something. Or um, I don't quite know what it is. I'm explaining all the time and feel like, uh, it's not easy to get hurt because of the deep assumption that Gabe doesn't have as much value as their own kids. And uh, really, I want the same thing for Gabe that they want for their kids. I want him to have relationships when he grows up. Yeah. I'm going to just comment back to you, and we'll continue in the next, um, the next um, segment on this point, is this question of value. You, you raised a couple of ways in which I think the community we're talking about, that is family caregivers and people who are being cared for within families, um, have more bargaining power now than they've ever had. And that's one of the things I'd like to explore with you uh, when we return from the break, which we now back into, um, because I think, I think there's a sense that there may be some power for you all at last, which has not been present in the past. So let's go to the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Ave. My guest is Martha Aline. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned because we are coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you feel as if your life is just filled with random awkward moments? Believe me, you're not alone. Tune in every Friday for TAG, the Awkward Girl Guide, with your host, Ashley Iola. Ashley has learned to own her awkward, and she guides you how to do the same. It's awkward, but it can be a lot of fun, too. We'll talk about relationships, sports, food, health, family life, and social life. Each show hopes to make you a bit more in control of your awkward. Tune in to TAG, the Awkward Girl Guide, Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for The Dr. Pat Show. With Dr. Pat Basile, Radio to Thrive By. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Martha Eileen. Our topic is Art as a Language for Caring. Now, Martha, I, I want to start off by pointing you back to a thing you said. Um, and what you said was, in effect, um, from the government's point of view, or the healthcare system's point of view, you're looking after Gabe at home, and that's much less costly than his being cared for by the healthcare system in some kind of facility or whatever we're going to call it. Um, now, money is very tight in the healthcare system everywhere. Um, it's a huge issue all over, all over not, just, not just in North America either. So I'm going to put this point to you. I think the very fact of caring at home becomes an argument for more and better support for people like you and Gabe who are at home and saving the system a great deal of money. What do you think... Do you agree with me? And what do you think use can we make of this if you do agree with me? Okay. So, um, well, it brings up several things for me. One is that one of the reasons why my son's fabulous life is funded on so little money is because we're paying quite low wages with no benefits. Um, Uh, I regret that. I want the workers to be paid properly. I think that caregiving is not valued in our culture. But in order to stretch this funding far enough for me to be able to work, 
that's just the way it is. And in our new lobby process, I, w- I will be asking for proper wages, uh, you know, with benefits and um, as well as um, more money to cover my time. Probably it still comes in cheaper than institutional care, but one of the problems I believe that the government and um, the agencies uh, that distribute funding have right now is that they still have to run all those institutions. Um, They're taking the language of parents like me and applying them to their institutional care. So, for example, uh, nursing homes now are called living in the community. So it's very difficult to get the facts because of these um, uh, problems with the communication. I consider that institutional care, um, but it's called community care now. So um, I would like to see Gabe set up uh, with with all the care he needs that doesn't depend on me filling in shifts um, so that that can continue on after... I'm gone. I want that to start while I'm still alive, though, and I I think the way the system's set up now, um, nothing can happen as long as I'm alive. But I actually seem to be legislated in there as uh, the component of Gabe's care that, you know, will save the money. So um, now I've forgotten your question. No, my question really was whether you... No, no, you've given a very good answer to it, and that is, yes, there is some bargaining power because you're saying you want fair wages for the job of people who work with you and therefore you in caring for someone at home because apart from any of the ethical or caring issues or issues of love and concern, there's money involved, and money is very short. Mm-hmm. To be able to say to the government, look, even if you do pay us a proper wage and give us benefits for doing what we're doing, it's still going to save you money, and that matters in our society. Yes, it probably is much cheaper. Yeah. And so, please don't be offended what I'm going to say next. You're cheap, but you're too cheap in the sense that we have to make some efforts to get all this that's being done in the name of family caregiving valued and recognized for what it really is, which is, I would go so far as to say, a savior for a major part of the healthcare system in North America, which increasingly is under stress. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a bit political, but let's not be afraid of politics. Now, this um, we're talking about art, and I just want to bring back, art back in conclusion for the last few minutes of the show. I'd like to ask you this. What would you like to do, and what would you like to see done in communities to promote art as a language of communication for families with members with special needs? What would you like to do and see done? Sorry, I can't think of anything. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> the thing is that you, you've got an activist I can, in you. I can yes, hear I you am coming an activist. Out. Right, and I'm going to pretend to you now that you're standing for election in a public election, <laughs> right, on the things you believe in. That is, you're going to tell the audience, that's me and all our listeners, what it is uh, you would want to see done to help art 
be seen as a language of communication for families like yours, not just with artists, but with, if you forgive this, ordinary people who don't mm-hmm. see themselves as artists, but yet could benefit from the kind of things you're talking about. So in a in, um, couple of minutes and less, what would your political platform be that would cause us to elect you? For one thing, when, you know, when governments cut money, it's always the arts funding that goes first. And um, I think that art does enrich people's lives, definitely. So uh, I think everybody should be involved in arts and culture. I think it makes our lives rich. Um, specifically to other families, I don't really know what to say about that. I'm a painter, so that's what I do. Um, I think I'm much more concerned about... Uh, because I've used art to describe my son so that maybe somebody else can get a new idea, new things to think about that bypass that default place of knowing a diagnosis for him. Um, I'm much more concerned that families do that kind of listening and uh, start to describe their family members in terms of their gifts and their strengths. I think too many families, you know, get so caught up in therapies as community for their their children right from birth, and forget uh, forget that it that they are going to need relationships to cope in their life. So, um, I'm sorry, I don't know how to phrase that in terms of promoting an art practice to other families. That would uh, I don't have a large picture idea of that. Let me ask you this. Um, and I I've, hope you've not, not a, I'm not artistic at all in any way. But supposing that this, like I used to be, uh, would go to your show about Gabe, would they begin to see, do you think, the kind of happiness and the kind of relationship you have with him and his sense? of enjoying his life within his, his body, his mind, his home, and his people. Would we get that message from your, from your art? Um, it, it would definitely. Sorry. Um, the, our signal, unfortunately, is breaking up. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Just to say, um, I'm a doctor, or I was. Would I get something about the things that you're talking about in relation to you and Gabe and the, the happy life you have together mm. if I went to what, look at your art in one of your exhibitions? Um, well, it's certainly the, the aspect of art I'm most interested in, what kind of message is carried from the intention of the artist through the visual image. And as I said, I tried to stay away from pictorial drama to get at that. I'm interested in the way the space feels. Um, so, yes, I think that that carries through. You'd certainly get a sense of what Gabe's interests are. Um, I think that he's, although you can see his wheelchair in a couple of the pictures, I think he's depicted, you know, as a person in relationship with other people. Uh, there was a review in the Globe about my show, and the reviewer said something about how, um, based on my mark making, which you know I do a lot of scraping. He said I was scraping and scratching the surface with a kind of urgency, as it like a squirrel making a nest for the winter. And um, he said he didn't know what 
he said he guessed it must be hard looking after uh, someone with disabilities and didn't really know much about our life, but that the way that I made the marks um, gave some sort of atmosphere of hardship. Right. I, I don't know if that's exactly how he said it, but I think I think there's a bit of that in there, and that certainly is a part of our space, is our uh, political awareness that, you know, we're, we have to be activists. We're forced into it daily, and it's quite a large part of our space. Right. So it would be surprising if that didn't come up. If I had wanted to show how happy he is, I guess I would have followed him onto the subway and been a fly on the wall when he gets together with his people. He doesn't really want me there at those times. So it, it isn't this body of work okay. with my story. Now, I have to, I'm afraid, bring us to halt. <laughs> uh, no, no, I thank you for that last message. That's why this show is called Family Caregivers Unite with the exclamation point. That is the motivation, the mobilization. So I want to say thank you to our listeners and a particular thank you to Martha and talking with us about your deeper experience, your deeper insights, and giving us a message to mobilize around and a message of hope. So all of us, we wish you every success to you in your work and in your continuing happy experience with Gabe. In our Thanks next episode, very much. You're very welcome. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about family caregivers, dental hygiene, and oral health care systems. Please join us same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.